Aloha. You are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chad Ford, and today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. We've been slowly talking about the top picks in the draft. I've had Tony Jones on. I've had Jeremy Wu from Sports Illustrated talking about the top freshmen, talking about guys in the G League. And I've been slowly myself putting together my first big board of the year. And this was a little bit challenging for a couple of reasons. First, NBA teams who I rely on to put together my big boards. I talked to NBA scouts, NBA general managers to try to get a a sense of where they have prospects on their board. This has been the toughest year for them because of COVID and what happened. They weren't able to scout players over the summer the way that they typically do. Uh, None of the big camps uh, like the Nike Hoop Summit, for example. And, And then on top of that, they like to be out in the trenches watching practices, watching scrimmages uh, before the season begins. And because again, because of COVID, travel has been really limited. Another big issue has been that teams in general have been limiting the travel of their scouts uh, to travel to college basketball games and front offices for the most part. Again, it depends a little bit on the team, have been limiting the travel of their NBA general managers, their assistant general managers, those front office types because of the NBA COVID protocol, which has some strict requirements about when they can leave the sort of team bubble, if you will, and come back into it. So all of that means that we're struggling a little bit to get as firm a handle on the draft early on. And then you add to that on top of it, the college basketball season where you have prospects who are playing in fewer games than they may have normally played, again, because of COVID issues and and teams having to postpone games. Two, they haven't had the same practice time. Uh, They haven't had the same ramp up that they would typically have, which means some of the players and frankly, just some of the teams like Kentucky are way more rusty than we might be used to seeing um, at this point. And, And then on top of that, you have at least three potential lottery picks in the G League this year. And the G League has really essentially, uh, at at least at this recording, just had a couple of scrimmages that NBA teams have gotten videotape of. And so all that means that the information that we have this year is a little bit more limited. And And I've been trying to piece it together. I've been on Twitter a little bit and on my podcast talking about you know, where I kind of have guys ranked in the top 10. And even that has changed a little bit for this podcast, just based off of the most recent intel. Now that teams have had, again, it depends on the team, anywhere from as few as three games up to as many as maybe eight or nine games to watch some of these prospects go. But I'm going to try to cobble together. I'm going to call this Big Board 1.1 because I was dabbling a little bit with that top 10 before, and I'm going to make a few adjustments in that top 10 as well. And we're going to call this Big Board 1.1, but this is going to be my first attempt to go through the entire top 30. And we're going to do it in in two podcasts. So we're going to go through picks 1 through 15 uh, today, and then we will pick up next week with picks 15 um, through 30. And again, everything is quite fluid right now, though I'm very confident at the top of the draft who I think are going to be the three most likely contenders for the number one pick in the 2021 NBA draft. 
I want to start by talking about the three guys that when I talk to NBA teams seem to be the most likely to be in consideration of the number one pick in the draft. In all but one case with the NBA teams and scouts that I talked to, one of these three prospects was mentioned as the top guy on their board. And it starts with Cade Cunningham, the big 6'8", 6'9"-ish point guard out of Oklahoma State, a freshman who came in regarded by many scouts as the guy most likely to go number one. He's lived up to the hype as a freshman at Oklahoma State. He's averaging 19 points a game, five and a half rebounds a game, nearly four assists a game. Some teams question his shooting ability uh, a little bit. I think that was one of the areas where they they wondered a little bit. He shot a solid 37% from three. He's had some high turnovers. He's averaging three and a half turnovers a game. But some of that has to do with the fact that on this Oklahoma State team, Cade Cunningham sort of is the team. And defenses are primed every night to play him and try to stop him. And I think that's actually partly what's so remarkable about Cunningham. If you've listened to our podcast previously, you've heard our scouting reports on him. But he is the most complete player in the draft. He has elite size and elite feel for his game. He can do everything on both ends of the floor. He doesn't have like that elite, like jump out of the gym explosiveness. And like I said, jump shot, maybe putting in that emerging uh, range right now, though he shot it pretty well. And those are really the only warts that I really hear about his game. I still think that he is the favorite to go number one uh, in this draft, though there are some teams that see him more in the two to three range. I didn't talk to an NBA team that had him out of the top three, so we're going to put his draft range right now at one to three. At number two on the big board, Jalen Suggs. And in all honesty, most NBA teams did not have him as a number one prospect before the season began. Suggs was considered more, depending again on the teams and the scouts that I talked to, as someone who is in the sort of mid to late lottery as a prospect. But he has been dominant for Gonzaga as a freshman. He can play both the point uh, and the two. He's averaging a very solid 15 points a game, six rebounds a game, six assists a game, shooting 48% from three, which I think is a surprise that, again, some people who scouted him who questioned a little bit when he was coming into college basketball exactly how well he was going to shoot the basketball. And again, if you've followed our last podcast and we've talked about Suggs, being a two-sport athlete it really shows on both ends of the court. He has that great, potent combination of strength and speed. He's a very good scorer. He can get his shot off in a number of ways. He really digs in on the defensive end. He's a live wire. Uh, he plays with just both poise but electricity as well. And he's shown playmaking ability. I think that was one of the questions coming into the season, how much of a point guard was he as opposed to more of a, of a combo guard or a two guard. So far, he's averaged six assists a game, uh, two and a half turnovers a game, which is, which is decent. But when you see the poise that Suggs brings uh, to the game, I think he's really, really got a chance uh, to be a star in the NBA. He's 19 years old. He's a little bit older uh, than uh, some of the other uh, freshmen that we'll talk about today. But Suggs was the guy 
that I heard most often if it wasn't Cade Cunningham as the guy who would be the number one pick in the draft. And some teams are convinced that they think that Suggs might be a better prospect than Cunningham. And if they do, it's generally about that aggressiveness and maybe that toughness uh, that they see in Suggs. And for those that, that like Cade, they see bigger size. They see maybe a little bit longer track record of being great. And there's questions about if Suggs was on Oklahoma mm-hmm. State and Cunningham was on Gonzaga, and Gonzaga is loaded, is one of the best college basketball teams I've seen in a long time. Would we feel the same way if Suggs had defenses coming down on him every night because you cannot do that in Gonzaga. They are just too loaded as opposed to Cade Cunningham going to Gonzaga and having the freedom of having so much talent uh, and upperclassmen around them to play. Would there be a big difference in what we're seeing in the output? And that's, that's why Cunningham, I think, gets the nod over Suggs, though I think both of them have put out really terrific uh, season so far. And then the third guy is Evan Mobley. Uh, he's number three in our big board. The big man out of USC can play both the four and the five. Uh, has great size at 6'11". A little bit skinny. 205 is his listed uh, weight. 18 years old. He's having a terrific season for USC. Averaging about 17.5 points a game. 10 rebounds a game. Couple assists a game. Actually has shown uh, some ability to stretch the floor. Hasn't taken a lot of threes. But shooting 44% uh, from the three-point line. And averaging three blocks a game. And that ability to defend the rim. Is something I think that is very, very attractive to NBA teams. He's got size. He's got athleticism. He has basketball skills on both sides of the ball. He's a great shot blocker. He's a good rebounder. He has ball handling ability. And like I said, he's got some emerging shooting skills as well out to the three-point line. Uh, You know, it's interesting. Mobley at one time was the top guy in his high school class. Got dinged a little bit his senior, senior year because he just didn't seem as interested or make the leap that some of the other prospects have have had, but since he's been at USC, he's really been engaged, playing hard, just a really terrific uh, defender. And on pure talent, I, I think he's right there um, with Cunningham. I think he's right there with Suggs. I think he's right there with Jalen Green. And, you know, size has been something that has been de emphasized a bit in the NBA and certainly in the draft. But if you look at James Wiseman, who went number two and and then the very early going for Golden State looks looks very solid as a number two pick. I think that almost any team would have told you they would have taken Mobley ahead of James Wiseman had he been in the draft this year. That's why he's such a great prospect. And I do think that depending on the team that gets the number one pick, depending on their needs, Mobley could be the guy who could go number one. He reminds me a bit of Chris Bosh. I think there's a lot of similarities there uh, between Bosch and a super, super talented guy. All right, so when we get back, we're going to talk about picks four through eight, guys that are right there in the mid-lottery, and maybe a sleeper or two that might be able to jump up into this top three. I I think there's a pretty clear top three right now, top tier, but I think there's some potential for some of these other guys uh, to jump up. We'll talk about picks four through eight on my big board 1.1 when we return.
Betting on the NBA doesn't have to be a guessing game. If you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling, get daily picks and quick hitting advice to make the smallest possible wagers. Subscribe to the Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you get your podcast. And we are back talking about Big Board 1.1. 2021. I haven't done a whole big board yet, but I have been kind of talking about guys in the last few podcasts in my top 10, and even that has made some adjustments. The top three have stayed stayed the same. Guy going four, Jalen Green out of the G League also stays um, where he's been all year at number four. And Jalen Green, just one of the best athletes in this draft can score from anywhere on the floor. He needs to improve his playmaking. I think he can be sometimes a little bit of a tunnel vision as far as a scorer goes, but he may be the best pure scorer um, in this draft. And when you combine that scoring mentality with the explosiveness that he has athletically, he's a really intriguing prospect. Teams have been impressed by what they've seen uh, from Jalen Green early on. They've done a couple of scrimmages and teams have not been able to attend those scrimmages live, but they have been able to get the video and watch them. And the general feedback that I've gotten from Green is that in general, he looks exactly, I think, the way teams thought he would. He's a terrific scorer. He's shown great athletic ability. Uh, There have been questions, again, about his playmaking skills, about his ability to get other people involved, and sometimes some defensive lapses that are there. But overall, he's looked really good. In those first two games, uh, talking to NBA teams, they were impressed with Green's ability uh, to get to the basket and, again, showing those flashes of athleticism. But the knocks on him were essentially the same ones that that you got from him in high school. He settles too often for jumpers, and that's not his strength. He's an okay shooter, but not an elite shooter. And defensively, lots of mistakes. Again, has to show that ability to be engaged on the defensive end and not just be engaged when he has the ball in his hands and his ability and his ability to score. At number five on the big board is Jonathan Kaminga, who is Green's teammate on that G League Unite team and a guy that has moved up a little bit on rankings and frankly might even move up a little bit more. He reclassified um, this year, so he's younger, he's 17 years old, and he was a bit of a mystery coming in. And and when I say that, um, because of injuries and the fact that he reclassified, he wasn't at some of the camps that NBA teams typically use to scout. You didn't get to see him against this this class as much as you could some of the other prospects. And so while everyone was very intrigued by Kaminga's skills and ability, he was less proven as a prospect than some of the other ones. So there was a lot of interest in seeing him play for this G League Ignite team. Is he one of these mystery guys who you can project everything on and think he's great? Or was he going to get exposed in this setting? And the good news is, and again, we're just talking about scrimmages right now, but the good news is he looked terrific uh, for the G League Ignite team. Looked like the best player on the floor um, in those early in the early games. And that, I think, is going to be something that if he can continue that into the actual season for the G League, means he certainly could jump over Jalen Green and potentially maybe even get into the mix 
again with Evan Mobley or Jalen Suggs or Cade Cunningham. In those scrimmages, Kaminga showed that athletic advantage that he had. He was able to shoot, uh, went three for 10 uh, from three-pointers in those games, shot it well from the foul line, uh, was aggressive when he had the ball in his hands, and a little bit like Jalen Grant, Jalen Green got a little less aggressive, a little more disinterested uh, when he didn't have the ball in his hands. And I think part of that is figuring out, like Green, how to contribute when you're not the primary scorer. But they're very young, and I think that that is going to be the thing that teams are going to give them some credit for. They're still young. They're still getting feel. And these G League scrimmages that they're playing are being played against more veteran guys that were really good in college or maybe have been off and on uh, playing in the NBA. I think that one of the things that teams like about Kaminga more than Green is one, he's bigger. And two, I think that it's easier to project him as an impact player on the defensive end and a guy that probably can guard the two, the three, and the four at the next level, which is something that I think is going to be very intriguing uh, for him. He's got a lot of refining that he needs to add to his game, but the raw talent is there. He's very intriguing. He's going to be number five on our big board, and I certainly think that he could bump up a spot uh, to four and who knows, maybe even get into the top three down the road. At number six, a guy that is probably going to come as a surprise. He did not make it into that sort of initial top 10 that I was putting together on Twitter and talking in our podcast. But the more that I've been talking to NBA teams, the more I'm confident, though I think that there are some disagreements, that Greg Brown, the freshman out of Texas, could end up being a likely top 10 pick and the other guy that might be able to crack the top five. And part of it is because uh, on pure athletic talent, and we've talked about Kaminga and we've talked about Green and, and they're excellent athletes, Brown might be the best athlete in this draft and maybe the best athlete to come out since Zion Williams. And he's that explosive. He has a skill set that's emerging. And I think this is one of the things that was a little bit confusing early on. Texas is going to play him more at the wing. Uh, His skill set was very much emerging as a wing player. He was much more skill set wise comfortable sort of playing as a big, uh, playing as a four uh, at the next level. But he, he can't do that at Texas, not with the, the the talent that they have on the floor. They've asked him to go out in the wing. And you can see in these early Texas games, he's, he's not quite in the rhythm. He's not exactly sure what to do with himself. But one of the things I think that NBA teams have been just really excited about as they've gotten further down watching Greg Brown is that he seems to be getting more comfortable with what he's doing on the offensive end. And if you looked at the last three games that he had, you know, one against Texas State, okay, not the greatest uh, talent in the world, but he had 18 points um, in that game. Um, Then he went and played against um, Sam Houston uh, State, again, a team that's not going to wow you with any sort of You know, huge talent there, but he puts up 17 and 10 with a couple of blocks. And then Oklahoma State, and I think this was the big game. This happened uh, right before Christmas. You get to see him on the floor with Cade Cunningham. He explodes with 24 points. He's got 14 rebounds in that game. He has three assists, and he does all of this in about 26 minutes on the floor. And 
he looked for the first time, if you're watching him play, like he could be the star that some teams have felt he could be all along. Texas gets the win in that game over Oklahoma State. Uh, Brown hits three three-pointers uh, in that game. He was a beast on the offensive boards. He looked the part of a potential superstar when you add that sort of production again with the athleticism that he brings to the table. Now, look, he's not going to consistently do that every night. I think he's going to be a player that is going to be frustrating at times to watch because I think he's still emerging uh, as an offensive player. But the athletic ability is so intriguing, his ability to guard multiple uh, people on the floor. And he kind of reminds me of the Patrick Williams of this draft. You know, I don't, Patrick Williams of all the top prospects in the draft last year probably had the least impressive numbers, but showed spurts of being an absolute star. And that convinced the Bulls to go ahead and draft him as high as four. I think that if you've even asked most draft analysts and most NBA teams like two months before, would he go that high? They'd probably say no. I think Brown has that same ability to sort of leap up in the competition and that's why I have him six on the board. I'm projecting a little bit, but uh, it's the same thing that happened last year with Patrick Williams. While teams were a little bit conservative of where they were ranking them on their boards, it was a guy that you could tell that there was a lot of enthusiasm about. There was a lot of interest in from teams. Uh, that's why he initially made my top 10 when we did Big Board 1.0 last time. And now I'm sort of learning from that those signals, and I think that Brown could be that guy. Now, obviously, he could slide if he struggles throughout the season, but based off of what he did at Oklahoma State, uh, based of what we've seen him trending towards in the last three games, uh, he could be a really interesting prospect as number six on my board. At number seven, Scotty Barnes, the freshman forward out of Florida State. A strange player. I'll be the first to admit that, you know, Scotty Barnes isn't your typical anything. He's a kind of do-everything type of forward. He doesn't necessarily have one elite skill, but does just about everything well. He rebounds. He can handle the ball. He can initiate the offense. He can play uh, as a point guard. Uh, he can, you know, offensively, he looks like anything between a one and a five. That's uh, that's his skill set, right? And uh, Draymond Green is a guy uh, that Jeremy Wu has talked about that I think is sort of an interesting uh, comparison. If he develops a serious jumper, and that's a question, he's only shooting 26% right now from three, I think that he has the potential to be a really special player in the NBA. That I love players and teams love the players that are versatile and can do multiple things on the floor. Barnes has all of that going, but he is going to be able to have to shoot the basketball if he's going to stick in the league. And I think that is the question mark about Scotty Barnes right now. Uh, so far, the answer has been eh. But maybe he's going to get better uh, as we as we continue. Uh, at eight, Jalen Johnson, the freshman Duke forward, who, like Scotty Barnes, is one of these versatile guys that can play multiple positions on the floor, also could be a point guard, uh, even though he stands at 6'8", 215. And a guy, again, who sees the floor very well, has a high basketball IQ, uh, clearly could be the primary ball handler on offense. He lacks a consistent jump shot as well, and he doesn't necessarily have the same explosive pop 
that some of the other prospects that are a little bit higher on the board do. Uh, Tony Jones was on the podcast last a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about Jalen Johnson, reminding him a bit of Grant Hill. I'm not sure I would go that far, but Johnson's ability to to handle the ball, to see the floor, to be a great rebounder. He's averaging eight, eight and a half rebounds a game. He's averaging a couple of blocks a game. It's just what else is he going to do offensively? Because when he's in transition, he looks really, really special. But when that offense gets set, he struggles a little bit to find his offense. And that's why he slid a little bit in my sort of earlier putting my top 10 together. I had him a little bit higher at five. He slid down to eight. I still think his draft range is somewhere between four and 10. All right, that's our top eight prospects. When we come back, we'll talk about picks nine through 15 on our NBA big board. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. The improved Built Bar tastes even better than the old ones. They're in 18 amazing flavors, six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp. That's on top of all of the original flavors that you typically love, the coconut almond, the raspberry, the banana bread. One of my favorites, the mint brownie. Also love that orange bar and the coconut one as well, of course, being in Hawaii. And the great thing about these bars is that they taste like a candy bar, but they're actually healthy. And for for someone like me who exercises a lot and runs a lot and cares a lot, about what he puts into his system. I love the fact that it's low calorie, it's low sugar, it's got high protein, it's got high fiber, 19 grams of protein, uh, in fact, which is which is pretty awesome. And so go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on. That's builtbar.com. Use promo code locked on, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. And we're back talking 2021 NBA Big Board 1.1, our first big top 30 big board of the year. I'm going through picks 1 through 15 in this podcast. Next week, we'll come back and we'll do uh, picks 16 through 30 so that we'll get the whole range of the first round. uh, And you can see what that top 30 looks like. And we've made some adjustments from early on when I was projecting the top 10. We've talked about a few of those. Greg Brown uh, moving up to six. Jalen Johnson uh, moving down a few spots to eight. We're at nine. He's going to stay right where he's been uh, for the the early going, which is uh, Zaire Williams, uh, the wing out of Stanford, another freshman. He plays the position that the NBA covets. And offensively, at least, he's really got the entire package. He's got an excellent handle. He can create for other people. He's got a really solid jumper. He doesn't have a lot of strength. And that's going to be something that NBA teams are going to be concerned about, his durability on his strength. Uh, I've heard at least one scout refer to him as a bigger version of Tyrese Halliburton, which I think is really interesting. He hasn't shot the ball great. 
uh, shooting around 30% from three. And he's been pretty inconsistent for Stanford early on, which is why he slides a little bit lower on our board right now. The talent is there, whether he has the strength and maturity. I think that is going to be the biggest question for him. At number 10, Daishin Nix, our third NBA G League player from that Ignite team. We really like Deshaun Nix. He's 18 years old. He's 6'5". He's 205. He's a stronger, sturdier playmaker who I think was a little bit under the radar. He was going to play at UCLA before deciding to go ahead and go uh, to the G League. He's got size. He's got toughness. Jump shot is still a bit of a work in progress, and I think that that's going to be one thing that he's going to have to prove. I think there's some questions about what his lateral quickness is going to look like. He also looked really good in those couple of G League scrimmages that we saw earlier the last couple of weeks. There were some things that you really liked about Knicks in the early going. His basketball IQ, NBA teams told me, was really, really high made some great passes, really acted like a floor leader out there despite the fact that he was 18, looked much older than his age, much more poised than teams were expecting, and that was all really good. I think the downside was he's gained a lot of weight. Uh, He's listed at 230, which is really big for a 6'5 point guard. It showed on the defensive end, lateral quickness became an issue in his ability to guard guys. He's strong, he's tough, and, and he's got pretty good feet. But at that size, he really needs to drop some weight, I think. And then on the offensive end as, as well, when he got into the set set court, set offense, um, his ability to blow by guys off the dribble is certainly something that, again, he needs to improve. And I, I don't think he's a bad athlete, but I think that he needs to get in great shape um, to be able to maximize his potential. And then there's some questions about his jump shot, like I said before. It wasn't particularly great in those scrimmages. I think we knew that going in. So again, Nick's a guy with a super high basketball IQ, ability to see the floor, but may have some limitations on both the offensive and defensive end uh, if he doesn't drop some weight and get a little bit quicker. At 11, a guy that I thought and many teams thought might be able to fight for contention for the number one pick, but has really struggled early on along with his whole team is BJ Boston, the shooting guard out of Kentucky. He is 18, he's 6'7", he's really thin at 175, and I think that's shown. He's been solid, I guess, you know, 14 points, six and a half rebounds a game, but he's really struggled with the shot, only shooting 15% from three, which Kentucky's entire team has really struggled shooting the basketball, and it's shown. And his ability to score the basketball, which I think is his great strength, he's a creative scorer, he can score off the bounce, he's got a slick handle, uh, and... You know, while his jump shot, I wouldn't have ever labeled him like an elite shooter. He was considered a weapon. His three-point shot was considered a weapon coming in. He seemed strangely tentative at times at Kentucky. He doesn't feel like he knows how to take over uh, basketball games. Their offense has been a mess on all of Kentucky, and I don't know how much you want to blame that just on a very young basketball team trying to figure things out. But Boston just has not popped under any definition as a elite top prospect in this draft. He, he's sitting here at number 11 
based more off reputation coming in than anything that he's done at Kentucky um, early on. And if he starts to turn that around, if Kentucky starts to turn the season around and he really starts to lead, he's going to pop right back up on boards. But I'm not sure. I've watched Kentucky now several times, and I don't know if this is going to be the year uh, that Boston's going to be able to turn around. I think he needs to get stronger. I think he needs to figure out how to tough things out. I think that he's playing against men many nights, and they've had a very tough schedule uh, at Kentucky, and he's shown that he's struggling to make those those adaptations, those changes. But if he's struggling here at the college level, what does that mean for the NBA level? I think that that's a, that's a major concern. At 12, James Bucknight, a sophomore shooting guard out of UConn, 20 years old, 6'5", 190, has been one of the best scorers in college basketball to start the season, averaging 24 points a game, almost six rebounds a game, shooting 38% from three. And he's the first non-collegiate freshman, first non-G-leaguer to come off the board. And it's all about that ability to score at a high volume while he limits his turnovers and, and bad shots. He's been taking really good shots this year. His handle is a question. I think that given his size, teams would want him to play more on the ball if he could as a, as a lead guard as well. But he's been such a potent scorer. He's been such a creative scorer in a number of different ways. And given the scoring woes of many of the prospects that we just talked about ahead of you for teams that are out there looking for guys that could come in and and score some points right away uh, in the NBA, uh, Book Knight seems like he could be one of those guys. At 13, Keon Johnson, the shooting guard out of Tennessee, another freshman. He's only 18 years old. Uh, 6'5", a guy who is, again, one of the top athletes in this draft and really popped. A guy who's a great athlete who could really turn it on on the offensive end when he gets going. And he's been coming off the bench for a really good Tennessee team this year. And so his his minutes have been limited. His role has been more limited to a role player on Tennessee. But when you look at some of the plays that he makes out there with his elite athletic ability, a great motor that runs nonstop, and just really needs to improve skill level and feel for the game. He's averaging eight points a game, three rebounds a game, couple assists a game, steal and a half a game. But that big number, only 18% shooting from three, that's going to be his Achilles heel going forward. Teams are going to want to be able to see that. I think they're going to care less about how many minutes he gets for Tennessee, but they're going to want to be able to see him stretch on the floor. And he's he's a guy that has so much potential, I think he could go easily in the top 10 but right now based off of the way he's playing and the way Tennessee is using him I'm not sure he warrants that at 14 this may come as a surprise we're going to actually put a senior here it's kind of hard these days for seniors to crack uh, the lottery but there's one senior in particular that I think is just ready made for the NBA he's Corey Kispert the small forward out of Gonzaga who right now hands down is the best shooter in this draft Averaging 22 points a game, four rebounds a game, couple assists a game, shooting a whopping 52% from three at a really high volume, and shooting nearly 64% just in field goals on the floor. And look, he's he's got solid defensive chops, but you you're drafting him for a guy at his size who can really, really shoot the basketball and stretch the floor. That's why people like Kispert so much. I just think in this draft, as a 
as a guy who steps right into the NBA and stretches the floor, maybe think like Joe Harris is probably a great comp. He's going to have a long career in the NBA because this guy can shoot it. He has lights out range uh, from anywhere on the floor, and he's a really an aggressive scorer, and so he goes at 14. And finally, to wrap it up, at 15, David Johnson, the combo guard out of Louisville, a sophomore, a guy who is actually a terrific passer, a good athlete, having a really solid sophomore season, season averaging 13.5 points a game, six rebounds a game, four assists a game. And so there's good news and bad news with Johnson. On the good news, he shot the ball much better, and that's a really great thing for him, shooting 40% from three in the early going in the first seven games for Louisville is a big improvement. The other thing that teams were worried about was that he was a turnover machine as a freshman in limited minutes. He's gotten a lot more minutes at Louisville and his turnovers are crazy high. He's averaging 4.1 turnovers a game. That is going to be the question mark uh, for David Johnson right now and whether he ends up being a lottery pick or a guy that slides further down in the draft. How does he start to keep uh, those turnovers down. He had six turnovers against Pitt. He had seven turnovers against Wisconsin, four turnovers against Kentucky. He's really got to figure out how to limit those turnovers if he is going to crack the lottery. But the talent is there. And so that's going to be the big thing that we're going to watch going forward. So that's the top 15. When I come back next week, we'll talk about Big Board 1.1 picks 16 through 30. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha. Aloha.